Well, when uh, Brother Andy told me that he was going to be out, they were taking some a weekend away, he said, I want you to pick up in Romans. I want you to continue preaching through Romans. Because if we don't, we're never going to be through this thing. But uh, So we're going to pick up, we'll be in Romans 8. So turn to Romans 8, we'll be in verses 1 through 4. But uh, and as Pastor Andy mentioned last week, the uh, there's just this wonderful trove of treasures that can be found in Romans 8. Now, as we begin this journey through Romans 8, and as I begin studying the first four verses, what I realize in our time, we're just going to scratch the surface of the truths that, that, that are found within these verses. And uh, I would encourage you each to begin reading every week, because as I saw this little graphic this week, if you notice it's an iceberg, there's what you learn in church. It's the tip of the iceberg, right? What you learn by your study or by yourself. And this cannot be any more true than what we're going to be uh, studying as we get in through Romans 8. Uh, which they're both very important. Doesn't mean you do all the study on yourself if you don't come to church on Sunday mornings. But there's so much more to be learned that, that we can't cover it all in just a short time that we are here. Unless y'all want to sit here for hours and listen to me talk. So I don't think any of us want to do that. But um, So I would encourage each of you to go deeper into the passages that we're studying each week. I mean, and it will truly bless your personal study time, and it will also bless the time that you come each week. And as Pastor Andy exposits the Word, you, you, will, you will begin to learn so much more about what God is revealing through those words. And one of the greatest things about being in a church that preaches verse by verse through Scripture is you know where we're going to be next week. It's okay. You can read ahead. You can get ahead. You can read what we've covered already, then read up to where we're going to go. And you can even play a guessing game. Where's Brother Andy going to get this week? You know, But you always know where he's going to be. So you always have the opportunity to study ahead. But with that said, these are some very deep passages we're going to be looking at. So there's a number of resources. I talked with Andy some this week that we recommend. Now, all these resources I'm about to list, if you're frantically writing them down, don't worry, they're on our website as well. But one of the ones I would recommend for your personal study, and if you're utilizing our family worship guide, this might be an excellent resource to add in with your family. By the way, if you're using our family worship guide, there are memory verses for the kids that are for their Sunday school classes. So we just started a junior high class. So we've got first through eighth grade that have memory verses listed on your family worship guide. So we'll have those each week. But uh, look at the book by John Piper, Desiring God. It's one of the greatest resources in studying scripture. It, if you've ever looked at it, 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 he has this scripture passage on the screen and he writes all over it. And he, they're usually you know, eight to 12 minute videos is about the average how long they are. So you're not locked in for an hour, but it's very good. And he'll do a, he'll, if there's a lot of things to uncover, he'll, he'll unpack them all over a series of little videos. Uh, another resource is Grace to You with John MacArthur. And you can search his website or his app and you can download the sermon. So if you're traveling and you're somewhere you don't, you're, you're doing a lot of driving, like I at work, I do a lot of driving these days, it's perfect to download one and, and play it. Um, but he exposits scripture. One Passion Ministries with Stephen Lawson. He's another one that exposits scripture. If you go on, he has Bible studies and sermons that you can find for Romans. Another resource, if you had done um, Behold Your God study with us, John Snyder that did that study, he 
he preached a series through Romans. You can find them either on Sermon Audio or on Media Grounds, his, his ministry's uh, website. But we recommend those four because those men are well-known, well-trusted expositors of the Word. So what they're going to do is step-by-step, they're going to walk through what the original language is teaching and and really go in-depth to it. So those are some resources that we recommend. And um, I know that was a quick list, but I can also have Sally email those out. But they are all listed on our website at underlinks. So, oakshadebc.org, and if you look under links, all of these resources are listed. But that's just a you know, shameless plug for our website there. But today we find ourselves in Romans 4, or Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. And let me read those verses for us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the flesh to the Spirit. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, Lord, as we open up your word, may you illuminate the truths that are in it to us, and may you give us understanding and you teach us. Father, Lord, we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so as we jump into Romans 8, let's do a quick review of where we're at in Romans. We've been in Romans a long time. I've been here since March of 20, and I believe we were in Romans when I got here. Yes, we were. I think we were in Romans 2 or 3 at that time. So we've been in Romans a long time, and you know, because of circumstances that, you know, that we couldn't control, we had to take breaks. But So let's review. So Paul, throughout the book, he's presenting this truth of justification by faith through the work of Jesus Christ. So this entire book is dedicated to explaining salvation by grace. So the book begins with the sinfulness of man in the first three chapters. And as Paul lays out this dreadful state that all of mankind finds itself, he begins to reveal what the solution to the sin problem is. So as he picks up the end of chapter 3 through 7, there has been this detailed discussion of salvation to a climatic culmination, and it begins here in chapter 8. And really, this is the high point of Romans for the believer. And this should be the sweetest words that we could ever read. I mean, having discussed the sinful state that we find ourselves, the hopelessness of man, the inability to save ourselves, Paul introduces the gospel of grace. Now, he introduced this at the end of chapter 3. He illustrated this in chapter 4. He expands on it in chapters 5 through 7. But he brings it to culmination, brings it all together in chapter 8, verse 1. And this is the most glorious of all statements. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And when you look back at the first three chapters, we realize they were all about condemnation. Where we find ourselves. And what we find out that it's speaking about the wrath of God. From chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 320, it's all about the wrath of God. Paul just unwraps 
this, uh, this terrifying wrath of God that is upon sinful man. And as Hebrews 10 tells us, it, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that should leave us with a question of how can we escape this just wrath of God? He's justified in this. And what we're going to find out through all of chapter 8 is by the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest chapter in all of Scripture on the security of the believer. And this chapter unpacks the works of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believer. Now there are four main points uh, where God is working in the life of the believer that we're going to see today in this passage. Today we're going to see justification, we'll see deliverance, substitution, and sanctification. Then we'll close with a, a few points of practical application. So our first, first point is justification. In verse 1. Now as we look at verse 1, the most important word in this verse is no. And in the Greek, it's a very emphatic no. It's like Paul is pounding on the pulpit, no, no, no. Or maybe in our day today, he put it in all caps in the text message. He's yelling this. There is no condemnation. He's emphatic. He's emphasizing this. For the believer. Now, Paul has laid out the argument. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he has, he has told us that the wages of sin is death. And we are all guilty. And the word condemnation here speaks more to the penalty, not the verdict. We have all been found guilty. And the penalty for this sin is death. It's a death sentence. It's an eternal death. So the word uh, condemnation is, is, is pointing toward the required punishment. The price of sin is death. And we are all found guilty. But those in Christ Jesus, there now is no condemnation. Your penalty has been paid and you are justified. Through Christ, the believer is made righteous in the sight of God. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. No past sins, present, future, can be held against the believer since the penalty has been paid. And no sin can ever reverse this divine legal transaction that has taken place. But we have to be careful here. There are only two categories of people. There's a true unbeliever and there's those that are under the wrath of God. And this is a very common teaching in the churches today that someone can be justified or saved and still go on living the life as they always have. Uh, we visited a church once that uh, we went in, the pastor was preaching. He preached from Romans. I don't remember this specific passage, but uh, it had uh, the elect was listed, listed in there. And he's like, well, today in this sermon, I'm preaching to the elect in here. There's a bunch of you that are saved. And you're just going to live your life however. You're going to go to heaven. But I'm preaching to the elect. And I remember thinking, where's he getting this? All he's doing is taking people that are completely lost and making their path to eternal damnation comfortable. He's not proclaiming the truth. He just said, I'll preach to those of you that are serious. Not the rest of them. Y'all good. That's scary. That is the most unloving thing a Christian could ever do. 
when we look at verse 2, as we move to our next point here, verse 2 just completely obliterates this teaching that there can be this half-Christian or a, uh, a carnal Christian, they may call it. Someone that's a believer, but there isn't a change. There's always going to be a change. And verse 2 really just solidifies that reality. For verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So this verse begins with the word for. Now in the Greek, this word is, is gar, and it means to give an explanation. So what Paul is doing is like, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Here is why. And he's going to explain why. So there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the spirit of life has said the law, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What does that mean? What is this law? I mean, I, 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 when I first read that, I'm asking myself the question, okay, it's law. Is this a Mosaic law, Levitical law, Ten Commandments, or, or something else? What, what is this? I mean, yeah, praise the Lord. We've been set free, but what is he even talking about? <laughs> now, if you are not a Greek scholar, such as I, you have to begin researching and studying. And after some research, what I discovered is the word law here does not mean the Mosaic law or moral law. And what I also discovered in after a lot of work that there are certain translations that have taken this into account. The NSBA, NS, NSAB, yes. NASB, um, it, it uh, changes the law and capitalizes it when it's speaking of the Mosaic law or the moral law. Lowercase when it speaks of something else. Because the Greek word is the same and there are no capitals in Greek. So the trans, it's up to the translators to determine the meaning. So if you have a version where verse 2 is not capitalized, let's say verse 3 is, that's the difference they're making. So in verse 2 it's not capitalized. This is not speaking about a moral law or the Ten Commandments or Mosaic law. What this is speaking about is that there, it is a governing authority or principle such as the law of gravity. This is what it's speaking of. There's something controlling. So there are two forces that have control over people. It's either the law of sin and death, which is also called the flesh, or the law of the spirit of life, which is the believer. So the true believer has been delivered from the bondage of sin and death and is transformed by the Holy Spirit, which enables us to live the Christian life. And Jesus had, had told us had told us this in John uh, chapter 14, verse 26, when he spoke of the Holy Spirit. He says, But I, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. So in the life of the believer, they have been moved from the sinful nature that we was imputed from Adam. And that is no longer the controlling authority. It is now the Holy Spirit. Because read, look at verse 2. And how it reads. It says, has set you free. That is past tense. 
we have been delivered from another governing power that once ruled over us, that being the law of sin and death. And we have been set free. The law of sin and death here actually it, it, it's, it's speaking of the, the total depravity. Total human depravity. The law of sin and death has power over everyone. The believer before salvation is currently controlling the unbeliever. And it has a grip on our minds, our affections, and our wills. And we must be released from this power in order to live the Christian life. Now, and this we'll talk about this in the, in the coming weeks, but there is the ability to look like a Christian to you and I. There are moral things that we can do that we look like, may look like we're living in the Christian life. And even as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, there are many that are going to come before me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, look at all that we've done. Yeah, they, they look like real believers, but what does he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. So, we, we can put a faith aside. But as I was listening to a sermon about this, what, what the, the pastor was saying was that those works that are called good works, they're not done to the glory of God, they're done for the glory of self. And that is the real difference here. As a true believer, we are not going to walk perfectly in this because sin is defeated, it's not completely gone. So we're not going to live a completely sinless life. We are still going to struggle. But the Holy Spirit is the controlling factor. And that is the difference. Do we do the things that we're called to do for our own glorification or for the glory of God? But that will be talked more about later on. <clears throat> so at the very moment the believer is set free from sin and death, all who are justified have been delivered. By the way, verse 2 is our second point, which is deliverance. We have been delivered. In verse 2, that you'll notice there is a... Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. So, if you notice in verse 1, there's a time indicator. He says, now. So, at some point, the believer, before that point, was under control of the law of sin and death. Now, they've been delivered, transformed. Now, they're not. But there's also another time indicator we just talked about it, the has, being past tense. So we got two time indicators. So the law of sin and death no longer rules, but it is still present. And this is another place that we have to be careful, because Paul laid, he really labored this point in uh, chapter 7. If you remember back in chapter 7, he talked about, I do what I don't want to do, I don't do what I want to do, very confusing depending on what translation you're reading and then we get down to verses 23 and 24 or 22 and 23 he says for I delight in the law in my inner being but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members and what Paul is saying here is that yes the spirit has control of us but still going to struggle there's still going to be this this battle um, even writes later on that you know you think about I am saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. Justification, sanctification, final glorification. So as long as we are in these mortal bodies until the point we are in glory with our risen Lord, we are going to struggle. We are going to struggle. But there is another power that we can call. 
Now, I'm going to ask a question. So how was this deliverance? How was this accomplished? And this is what Paul leads to as we get to verse 3. And it was accomplished through a substitute. So in verse 3, we see a substitution. And this verse starts off with the word for, so Paul's giving us another explanation. So because of this is why verse 2 has taken place. So the Father condemns sin in the flesh so that we can now pursue holiness. The law we see in this verse is the moral law. If you're looking at the NASB, it would be capitalized. So the law has power to teach us to live a holy and righteous life, but it does not have the ability to give us the power to do it. Now the law is perfect. The weakness is in us. The law can neither give freedom from the condemnation nor impart life. It cannot empower us to obey to obey what it commands. So Paul here, he's not criticizing the moral law, but he notes again, as throughout Romans, it's because of humanity's sinfulness, the law cannot bring salvation. The law just shows us who we truly are. There's nothing wrong. The law is perfect. It is from God. We are the problem. It is a sin that's within us. The law, apart from the Holy Spirit's life-giving power, cannot produce in the sinner the righteousness that the life that the, the law commands. The flesh is a limitation. But in this verse, what we see is God has stepped in. He steps in. And God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, the substitute. Notice it does say likeness. Not in sinful flesh, but likeness. So Christ's humanity was like ours and that He could be tempted and He lived a life as part of a fallen world. He was completely human. He took on human nature like ours to deal with sin in our lives. Not just to pardon our sins, but to break us free from the bondage of sin. God condemns sin and pronounces a judgment on the sin that controls our lives. In Galatians 4, chapter 4, um, Paul explains this a little more. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is Christ's full humanity. He was fully human. And he, he did that so that sin could be condemned in the flesh. Jesus was the perfect substitute that was required to break the hold of sin in our lives. And this morning as we partake in the Lord's Supper, this is what we remember. We don't partake of this to remember the perfect life he lived. We don't take this to remember the perfect teachings that he proclaimed. We take this to remember his broken body and the blood that was spilled that condemned the flesh that set us free from the bondage of sin. That is what we remember. And that is why this is one of the sacraments. That is what is important to remember that that he has set us free. So as we move to verse 4, we see our last point here, and that is sanctification. Sanctification, an easy definition, is this growing in holiness. 
growing in Christ-likeness. <clears throat> so it's the beginning of the verse. It begins if you're in uh, if you're in the ESV, it reads in order. So in order denotes the purpose for the substitution. So the purpose of the substitution and the purpose of condemning the sin in the flesh is that so the law could still be be fulfilled in our lives. Now we once live according to the flesh under the law of sin and death. And as we will see in the coming weeks in verse 8, it says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They cannot. But now the believer walks according to the Spirit. Now walking in this context means our our day-to-day lives. How we live our lives day-to-day. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the moral law of God is being realized and fulfilled in us as we live in obedience. The Spirit of God enables us to do what the, to, to do what God requires of us. As we live and stumble, as we all will, as we repent, and as we grow in Christ's likeness, this is the process of sanctification. And we the law is being fulfilled as the believer as they walk in us. We must live moment by moment in the power of the Holy Spirit and live according to the Spirit. So the, the big question in all of this is as we begin to unpack these, these truths and these realities or how do we do this? How do we go about doing this? How, how do we be obedient to the law through the Spirit? I mean, it's, it's wonderful teachings, but practically how, how do we apply this? Well, there, there are five ways, and I'll be honest, I took these from a teaching from Stephen Lawson, but there's five of them, and honestly, the fifth one ties to all the, the, the other four, but the first one is deliberately. And by deliberately, we must be aware of our weaknesses. Pride will lead to the fall quickly. We must be aware of our weakness, aware we, where we fall short, and what we must rely on the Holy Spirit. And we get, must be aware of our need for the Holy Spirit, always remembering and calling and praying for the Holy Spirit to guide us in obedience to what God has commanded. So we must be deliberate in that, or intentional. The second would be continually. We must always walk according to the Spirit. At home, at work, in church, at play, in the woods, on the lake, from the time we wake up to the time we close our eyes at night. We should continually and prayerfully be asking God to keep these truths and these realities in the forefront of our minds. I'll tell you what I was guilty of as a young man. Um, and it's probably because I was unsaved and claimed to be. But in high school playing football, I would say God does not exist between those white lines. That couldn't be further from the truth. As a true believer, we should desire to continually, all the time, walk in obedience to Him. So if we're deliberate and we do this continually, next we have to do it submissively. Or humbly. We must be yielded and dependent on the Spirit, submitting and surrendering every day, dying to self every day, and submitting 
to God through the Spirit. So fourthly, obediently, keeping the law from the heart, willfully honoring God, not out of some obligation, but out of the reality of what we've been saved from and to bring honor and glory to Him. Joyfully and voluntarily in all that we do, seeking for the Spirit to guide us in order to glorify Him. And last, lastly, prayerfully, I mean, this is kind of a given, right? We can't do any of these others. If you look at all these others, we're in deliberately. How do we deliberately do this? We need to be praying consistently, constantly. How do we continually do this? We need to continually be praying. Submissively. The Lord has commanded that we pray, so if we're yielding to Him, we should be praying for this. Obediently, once again, we're called to pray. So prayerfully, we should be seeking that the Spirit would lead us, that the Spirit would guide us. And remember what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit would come to bring to remembrance what I have taught. So if you think you have some spiritual leading and it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's not the Spirit. It's your flesh.